Yes, sir. What's going down, people, people? It's your homie, homie, CL. Back live on the Rundown Sports. Gotta know that. And I'd like to thank y'all for joining me, however you join me. I do appreciate it. And uh, hopefully y'all found us through therundown.com. That's D-A-Rundown.com. Gotta know it, homie. And uh, you can catch this every time we come out. iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube. You know, we see y'all out there. So uh, y'all just uh, give us some feedback. Let us know what y'all think. So uh, today, uh, got a couple special guests. I know usually I just have one guest, but uh, I guess you can call it a tripod. Uh, I got uh, KC and uh, Chris Lehman from uh, blackis.com. Did I say that right? Blackisonline.com. Blackisonline.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, all right. So, yeah. So, uh, what's going on? How y'all doing? What's up, everybody? I'm good, man. How's it going? All right, man. I'm cooling, man. Down here in ATL. Got a little rainstorm. I know y'all out there in uh, LA. Is it uh, nice and sunny? Yeah, it is a beautiful sunny day today. It is a nice day. Mm hmm. Okay. Although we could could use some rain. Yeah, we really could. Can't even be all that excited about this sunshine because this is drought city right now. Okay, I think I seen something in the news about that. What's going on? It's just dry. Our water supply is apparently depleting. <laughs> so we need we need rain. We would okay. we would all be very happy for some rain right now. So y'all right there next to the ocean with y'all short on water. Yep. Yep. How ironic is that? <laughs> if they say so, we just gonna go with it. <laughs> right. So, all right. Uh, look, before we get into some of the topics, uh, I want to take a few minutes, uh, let everybody get to know y'all. So, um, why don't y'all tell me a little bit about y'all and um, <clears throat> tell me about Black Is Online and uh, kind of just how y'all got started with everything. Well, we started podcasting around. In, uh with the, another another group of friends um he had to set up um my wife started getting into it early before i did but we started doing those kind of shows going to break earlier about 15 minutes real short and then at some point we just started doing it ourselves yeah we were introduced to podcasting uh through our brother's site sickly cat and the publisher and editor over there, John Bird, had uh, the whole podcasting set up for us. And we started with this idea of doing quick 15-minute shows, as Chris was saying. Um, but we found, one, that the conversations were getting good and, and capping them at 15 minutes was really, really hard. And then listeners, as we start to develop listeners, people who would visit the the site, the editorial site originally, they would leave us comments like, why do you guys cut the conversation short? Like, just when it's good, you're wrapping up. And so we then tried to move into like the 30 minute break. Like We kept trying to put this time constraint on it. And eventually we just dropped all the numbers and called it the break. And it's existed like that ever since. We just, we still try to keep the shows as far as listening um, to under an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but then from that there have just been other shows that have come out of black is as a result of the break yeah we started doing more uh i have a show with my brother uh called the brothers lemon sports happy hour and what we do sports talk We've had a friend of ours do a show called Culture Connection. Mm-hmm, Brother Malcolm. Yeah, he was good for, you know, he's his album slowed down a little bit. We've had a show called The Jam with a homie Merc 80 who does uh, interviews with, with music artists and DJs mm-hmm. where we okay. talk about songs that we consider the, the jam. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just grown in from one show to being a, a network mm-hmm. of shows. Okay, so uh, how many total podcasts do y'all have? You know, it varies because there's some shows that have gone dormant, but they're not gone. So like Culture Connection for right now is on hiatus because life happens and so Malcolm is focusing on other things. There's another show um, that I started with one of the break members, Toria, called The Brown Girl, uh, The Brown Girl Hour. It's currently on hiatus just because I'm completely inundated with new mommy duties. I had a baby at the end of last year. Um, and so, yeah, thank thank you. Congratulations. (laughs) It's just one more thing. And so we're going to, um, we're going to come back to Brown girl because we do like it and we do miss it. And it's funny. We end up having conversations that we're like, Oh, we could have recorded that, but it's just girlfriend time, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, But all together it's with the break and uh sports happy hour the jam uh i have a music show that i do from time to time called turn my headphones up um just playing music that i enjoy we have about six shows yeah, in six rotation. shows and then there are some that are in the works as, as well that are coming down the pipeline yeah we have a new show um that's going to be focused more on um political and uh, uh social justice that we're experimenting with a really good friend of ours uh, pitched it to us and it was a good idea. And we, we recorded the first, first episode and it came out really well. And so it's just a matter of kind of figuring out how often we're going to try to get together and what that's going to look like, because it's a more interactive. The goal of that is to be a a truly interactive podcast. Um, And so that's something else coming down the pipeline. But I think, you know, if, if we're being completely trill every week we put out two shows for sure every month at least three different shows uh get produced but we we definitely home to six different podcasts okay that's what's up mm-hmm. yeah i'm not putting in that work that's a... we trying <laughs> <laughs> and uh, i definitely could appreciate that because um i got to the point where um i'm having to split uh, my podcast up because I'm renaming the website. It's going to be called the Rundown South instead of the Rundown Sports, uh, mm. because I felt calling it the Rundown South would work a lot better because I wanted to get into more social topics, get into a little bit more entertainment, and and really just kind of like bring the whole thing full circle because I got a problem with everything, so. so <laughs> I got to really let my voice be known about a few of these issues. Yeah. So uh, now what? Uh, okay. So you said you got some feedback on the editorial website. Um, so was that the first confirmation that you really had people uh, were listening? A little bit. 
little bit with the editorials. We got a lot of love. And then, you know, every now and then we get somebody who would respond, give us some feedback to the mm-hmm. podcast saying they enjoyed the episode or giving us our thoughts on giving their thoughts on the topic that we discussed and whether they agree with certain people or disagree with certain people. So it let us know people were listening and they appreciated us. They appreciated our discussions, um, just having real open, honest discussions about topics um, and trying to show all the different uh, diverse uh, thought processes that uh, we as black people have. Yeah, the site itself prior to podcasting existed in a, a, a bit of an interactive form because so much of what we were talking about um, required that we interact with people because, you know, we had a lot of opinion articles, but then there was a lot of of interviews because when the site originally launched, um, the vision was to give a a pedestal or put a spotlight on uh, businesses owned and operated by people of color, uh, artists and musicians and, you know, other, other people of color who were in industry and entertainment, but who didn't have a wide enough platform for everybody to know them. Um, so it required a whole lot of networking and communicating. And we kind of developed uh, an audience through those relationships. I think with podcasting, we knew that we had a listening audience more so off of social media. I would give a lot of, um, a lot of props to uh, Twitter for that because because Twitter, people can respond to you so quickly uh, via Twitter. We'd have people, you know, retweet the show or comment on the show or ask us questions or, you know, pose whatever opinion they had to us that way. And so that, to me, um, was a sign that people were really listening to us. Okay. That's mm-hmm. what's up. That's, mm-hmm. uh, that's really, you know the best sign that you can have because it can't do anything but grow from there. Right. So that's, that's, that's awesome. So, all right. Now uh, let's go ahead talk about a few of these topics while I decided to have y'all on. So, uh, Casey, are you a sports fan? You know, I'm not as big of a sports fan as Chris. I do enjoy basketball, um, but I'm not well versed enough in it to speak on it at any length. Um, but he is definitely, he's, he's the person for that. Okay. Now what, uh, how does that affect your relationship? You know, cause I, I have a similar, uh, dynamic in my household with my wife. She's just totally not into sports at all. So, okay. um, you know, I have this, this theory where you have live programming where, uh-huh. and then you have things that are taped. So my theory is I could always watch something that's on tape, especially if it's going to be on Hulu. Um, but I can't catch the game. And then I'm going to know what happened 30 minutes later. Right. So uh, <laughs> basically, so yeah. So how was that dynamic work for y'all? You know, it's really not a problem. When Chris and I got together, I knew at that point there were two things that he loved um, he had two great passions. One was music and the other was sports. And so um, it's never been, he's never not watched sports. Um, he's never not like engaged with sports at, at, at a heavy level, at a heavy amount. And so I just, you know, I'm I'm busy myself. So it's never times when he's like sitting watching the game and I'm 
Well, look, let me not front. There are times I'm like, can we watch something else? But yeah. I'll just go somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not that's not frequent. Like I, I respect his love for the games, and I guess it also depends on the sport. I'm a lot more patient. I think around basketball, basketball season, football season drives me crazy. I feel like it's just so damn slow. And <laughs> I, that's just because I honestly don't understand the game. And he's tried mm-hmm. to teach me and I don't think I have the patience to fully grasp it. Not at least still not yet. Um, and so I just try to keep myself busy during football season, especially basketball. I don't mind. I don't mind sitting and watching basketball. Yeah, she she's pretty good at it. I mean, you know, I have to kind of pick and choose. Like when football season's on, I can't expect to watch, you know, like all in a sense, all three games on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I, if I can do that, that's cool. But I have to kind of pick and choose. So if it's like, all right, I know the game that comes on, I guess one o'clock our time, the second game, I really want to see that. So let me spend the first, you know, during that first game, spending time with my family, giving her time, doing stuff I need to do. Um, so it doesn't look like I'm spending the whole day just on my butt. Yeah, and you got the the greatest advantage I think you could have, which is the first games come on at what, like ten thirty? Yeah, ten o'clock in the morning. Ten o'clock. So yeah, I mean you basically just waking up and it's just football. So <laughs> you, you know, you don't really have that problem. You can kinda just have it on in the background and be, you know, cooking breakfast or something like that. Right. You know, I'm full in lunch mode. My kids up, they running around, getting into everything. So my day is in full swing. I just have to take my time when I can get it. Yeah. Right. It's, that's how it's become. Um, and it gets different, I guess, around playoff time or NBA playoff because I'm more of the of an NBA head. So, like, when playoffs start, you know, I want to watch every single game. So, mm-hmm. and she can tell when I'm like, I don't want to go anywhere, but – you know, you got to you got to kind of pick and choose. Like, I can't be, you know, a dick and be like, well, I want to watch this game. So y'all just going to have to just deal for like a few hours. It's like, OK, <laughs> I can, you know, let me do something now. Maybe I can catch the fourth quarter. You know, I can't you know, I can't I, I can't ignore my family just because I love my sports. I got to kind of just get it in when I can, like you said. Yeah, but I, I also try not to impose upon Chris, especially during playoffs, because I know how important it is to him, especially if his team is involved. See, like this this season is great because his team is gone. I mean, it's not great because, you know, <laughs> Wait, who, is, who is your team? I'm a Spurs fan. Oh, okay. yeah. So when the Spurs are playing. I, I I back all the way off because I know he's all in this season because the Spurs aren't playing. He's a lot more available because <laughs> <laughs> even though he's in, he's not all in. But when the Spurs when the Spurs are playing, I know I he, they get precedence and that's fine. We all we all just join in and watch the games. Right. When the Spurs are playing. Totally. And uh. I can't blame you because the Spurs usually go deep in the playoffs. So I could imagine right. you've been dealing with this year in the year round of them making deep runs in the playoffs. Yes. So. I was like, what? They didn't make it this year? <laughs> oh, snap. We start making some plans. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, and that's, a, that's just kind of how it goes. Now, I'm, I guess you could say I'm still partial to the Lakers, but I am i don't know. I kind of lost my fan spirit. But – uh I'm, I'm definitely ready for for Kobe to come back for one more good year. Yeah, Lakers having a, their, you know, they hit they arguably their worst period ever in franchise history. But, you know, knowing the Lakers history, they'll bounce back in a 
a few years. It's just, you know, Laker fans haven't had to deal with this ever. It's been bad, but not not to this level bad. Right. And uh that's why I'm I don't wanna say I'm I'm half hearted in, but I kinda knew what it was about once Kobe signed the contract. I was like, Well, I get it, but you just kinda lost me for a minute. I'm I'm just gonna sit here and ride it out. Right. So, uh, kind of put a bow on the sports. Uh, who do you have in the finals? Uh, I have the Warriors in six. Okay, so you think LeBron is going to wield them to like two games? Yeah, I just don't think. I think between the amount of length and depth the Warriors can throw at uh, LeBron James, not stopping him, but at least giving him multiple defenders to look at every game. And uh, between that and I think the depth that they have, I think is going to play into their favor. Yeah, and that, that's kind of where I'm sitting, too. I'm just looking at, you know, Golden State having two starting lineups and it's uh, LeBron James and the Knicks. So, you know, just right there, advantage Golden State and not to mention the coach. So, uh, to me, that's... I say it in five. I think they're going to whip past them, and it's it's not even going to be pretty. <laughs> Reminisce of, of last year. Pretty much. Pretty much. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the same way about LeBron's chances. Now, yeah. now um, kind of wanted to get into a few more things and kind of make the conversation diverse. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess we'll uh, kind of continue the entertainment stream. Uh, like y'all have a lot of cultural conversations and y'all talk about the you know parents responsibilities and uh, kind of the images and what you see out there now like give me I guess give me the short version of how do you how I guess how black people are viewed through the media in general yeah, because, uh, you know, you got a lot out there. You got, you know, of course, the the love and hip-hop. Uh, you got, you know, Empire. Now you got, uh, you know, Shine Around's getting a little bit more shine on ABC. Uh, you know, we kind of in this period where, like, black entertainment is going, it's like it's going two ways at the same time. And... I don't know. I'm I'm concerned that the love and hip hop is taking precedent over everything. Well, the love and hip hop imagery is powerful. I think what I what I want to say first is that it's not even so much how we're viewed through the media as much as the media shapes what people really believe about who we are. Um, and I think you know, on social media recently, there's been this new wave of of this new movement of of trying to come up with new stereotypes or let's like hashtag the other stereotype or hashtag the one off scene because it's graduation season because of them we can and people posting pictures of people you know black folks graduating getting you know higher uh higher level degrees and multiple degrees and coming out of you know really strenuous circumstances to succeed um I think we can 
acknowledge that so much of what other folks think about us and I don't even mean just white people but people of a variety of cultures and 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 that live in other places that don't have the opportunity to interact with us take what they see on television at face value and assume that many of us are you know loud dangerous scary <laughs> um uh-huh you know, somewhat ignorant and and uh, you know fueled and and ruled by by money and material goods, um, because so much of that is what's showcased on TV. Bad relationships, you know, really uh, not so thorough at at parenting, multiple kids, um, and I think what I, what the love and hip hop because we actually chatted about it off mm-hmm. mic last night. The problem with seeing those sort of situations, they're addicting because they're train wrecks. And nothing feeds people's personal egos more than seeing somebody else's circumstances be worse than their own. And so, you know, we can sit back and relish in a love and hip hop ATL, even though everybody on there is dressed beautifully and has wonderful makeup and hair and fancy clothes because they all look miserable so much of the time and so much arguing and and fighting and for the person who isn't making as much money but feels like they at least have some level of peace of mind seeing that is like mm-hmm. <laughs> right. you know there's there there's uh it, it gratifies you in some way um but by you mentioning Shonda Rhimes and even a show like Empire Empire dances around that, but the one thing that I can give Empire is that it is a a fictional drama, and that is something that I feel like we have missed, and I'm grateful to Shonda Rhimes and Lee Daniels and whomever else comes up with some some scripted storylines, because the reality shows... You know, just by putting that title on there, you make people believe this is how people really get down. When in truth, we know those reality shows are heavily scripted too. But because they're marketed as realism, people take that as such. You know, mm-hmm. and because the people who are who are in those shows in real life have a tendency to be out in public acting a fool from time to time, it just builds on that belief. I'm happy for the scripted shows, though, because that is it's it's clearly fiction, you know, and it's allowed to be dramatic. And anybody that's walking away from Empire thinking that's how, you know, black music moguls truly live day to day. I mean, that's on you for being that naive. I'm sure there's a part of it that's real, but every all of those storylines are not happening in one person's life all at once. I wouldn't think. Yeah, the, just the hard part with that is it seems like for our people, every representation is supposed to be viewed as fact, and that's what it is. Right. Where it seems like, uh, you know, and you know, and for white audiences it's like a diverse array. Like you can have the crazies and not people going to think, oh, well, this whole group of people are crazy. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, okay, they just this, this crazy, they this, they that. But it feels like for us, like every representation has to be perfect and great. Otherwise, people are going to view us like, oh, is that how they really are? I knew they really got down like that. Mm-hmm. And you just want to be able to showcase our diverse sides, both 
you know, real and, you know, fiction mm-hmm. and just have, you know, a diverse range of shows that just showcase us doing a little bit of everything. But the problem is when it comes to media, we're so powerless. If we had a bigger presence and executive positions when it came to media, then the opportunities for there to be an array of different types of programming about us telling our stories would be available. That That's why, you know, white folks don't worry about that because they have a variety. You can show a show, you know, with, you know, a whole crew of happy white friends getting along in a show like Friends. You can show a meth dealing dad trying to make money and, and save himself because he's dying of, of, you know, cancer. And what was the show? Breaking uh, Bad. And Breaking Bad. You could have, you know, a, a show about two overweight white folks trying to make it crack in Mike and Molly. You could have, you know, you could have all mm-hmm. these varieties of shows as where with black folks, we literally seem to have a quota of how many we can have going on all at once. Um, and it just seems like a certain a certain portion has to feed into the stereotypes that folks just love. We gotta yeah. have some ignorance, right? Which it, it's, <laughs> it's fine. I'm not one of those people that feels like every black show that has black people needs to put a quote unquote positive spin on things. Mm-hmm. I was like, black people can be bad too. That's I prefer that. Mm-hmm. Um, like the show we were watching on HBO, uh, The Nightingale, mm-hmm. with um, David, David Ayoelo. Yeah, who was playing? The who brother was, who played Dr. King? Yeah, okay. He played this role of this. I won't spoil it for people who haven't seen it, but this brother who has some mental problems from the war, some PTSD, and the movie is pretty much just him in it. It's about an hour and a half. It's one of the HBO films, but it's just him, and it's a role that can be played by anybody. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens that it's a black guy, right? And you're not like, oh, well, this is what black people like. You're like, this is just this one dude. Who's just crazy? Yeah, and in that role, what what's so powerful about it is that, for me at least, I see him. I see he's a black man, mm-hmm. but what I take away from it is that oh, all black men are crazy. It's more like oh, this is what war veterans, some war veterans experience. Mm-hmm. His being a war vet trumps his color in the role that yeah. he plays. I think a lot of times the way our shows are crafted. Race takes precedence versus character. You know what I'm saying? Like, to me, that's why a show like Mike and Molly is so interesting. Even though you got two overweight people and 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 the issues of their weight being, you know, large because, no pun intended, um, <laughs> because that's something that they're dealing with. You're, you're looking at these characters and the fact that they're both big people is is by happenstance. The fact that they're white has no bearing on it to me at all. But if that show were about black people, you know, it'd be a whole thing about, you know, such and such, you know, they overweight because somebody's mama has a fried chicken soul food establishment. And you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it would be tied into culture to the point where you could not ignore race. And we get very few opportunities where race is able to be. Where you, I mean, I mean, there are no opportunities where you can a- actually erase race, but you get very few opportunities for race to take a backseat to something else, to character. And I think that's why Shonda Rhimes ends up getting so many props for shows like Scandal, even though, I mean, we can unpack Scandal and everything <laughs> about that all day. 
or or how to get away with murder because she puts so much layer on a character that race is not what is at the forefront when you see that person. Yes, they are black women, but there's so much more going on. Yeah, right. So that's kind of what I be feeling like, too, is like when they have these roles, you know, why are they raceless or why aren't they raceless? To begin with, and then you can kind of find the person who fits it the best. Mm -hmm. And if along the line you want to, like, you know, have some jokes or something about, uh, you know, where they come from, that it it is where it is. You can fit that in. But uh, for the most part, yeah, that would be a great starting point. I think one of the problems is the people that are making the shows, you know, they're going to make shows about stuff that they know about. And yeah. if it's a, a lot of white people making shows, then they're going to make stuff about, you know, white people things. So, mm-hmm. you know, if they never been exposed to the drug game, of course, you know, they can try to make something. But uh, there's still going to be a lot of uh, stereotypes laced in it because that's not their reality. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it's it's a lot of ways that it goes when it comes to Hollywood. And I mean, y'all right there. So. I mean, it is the, I guess a lot of people still trying to get into the, to the film industry. Of course. And the thing is, what you said is really a strong point. Cause to that end, maybe one of the reasons why so many of the storylines we see are similar is because the people who have the money, the black people who are have, who have the money are telling the stories that they know. So it's all wrapped up in entertainment. It's all wrapped around, you know, somebody's music career or, you know, somebody's sports career. It's all wrapped up in that versus telling, you know, non-traditional quote unquote stories. But yeah, the the film business will never die. Okay. <laughs> you know, unlike the music business that has transitioned um, and record labels are starting to be obsolete because the Internet basically blew it out of the water. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the film industry still operates the way it always has. I think the indie filmmaker, thanks to crowdsourcing, you know, stuff like Indiegogo and GoFundMe, you got more people trying to get projects put out there. And even the, the film we mentioned, The Nightingale, um, there's a website called The Blacklist um, where unknown writers put their stories up and, you know, directors and producers search for projects on there. And so this story that was on HBO, this movie that uh, David was in, was com- a completely unknown writer. He, nobody wow. knew who he was. So there's more opportunities for the independent filmmaker to get a project across. But, yeah, Hollywood ain't going nowhere. Mm, no, nah, they like the formulas that they know make money, mm-hmm. and they're not really big on... On taking risks. Yeah. Okay. That's funny you say that. Going with what you know. Now, this might be a heavy one. Where do you sit on Tyler Perry? We sit on Tyler Perry. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> we had that yeah. It feels like we're proud of the brother from where he came and being able to establish himself and having the ability to make the kind of films he wants to make. For him, basically, in a sense, getting that platform and, you know, putting black people behind the camera and stuff like that. We appreciate that. For us, it feels like his what he chooses to talk about and write about and everything just seems 
so basic. His storytelling is very one note. Yes. And the thing is, for him to be in the position that he's in, what we would love to see from Tyler are opportunities he provides to some of these, you know, young filmmakers of color, providing them with the the funding and a platform to get their projects told. And to be quite honest, I, I don't, because I have in the past publicly judged the brother very harshly. Um, for all I know, he's just trying to ensure that his reputation as a filmmaker and a producer is solid by, you know, constantly putting out these projects that amass a good amount of money. Um, because it, whether we like it or not, Tyler has a, a, a following. He has a committed following. He knows when he puts out a Medea film, it don't matter where the hell Medea is going to. Medea could be going to the backyard and he's <laughs> get, you know what I'm saying? He's going he's gonna to get a certain amount of folks into those seats guaranteed, uh-huh. you know, and um, just because he has a particular audience that he speaks to. But I will say the last film I saw Tyler in, he didn't have anything to do with it. He was actually in it as an actor and that was Gone Girl. And that was the first time I saw Tyler in any project and enjoyed him to that level. Cause I'm not going to say all of his films have been bad. He's had some films that have been all right. Like what's the, what's the one that we like with the family that prays. the family that prays, I think is probably my favorite of his projects. Yeah. Why did I get married? The first one, the very first, why did I get married? Wasn't bad either. That was actually, that was good. He had a, mm-hmm. he had a good ensemble cast in, in that film. Um, what about but, uh, Alex Cross? I didn't even see Alex Cross. Was just, uh, I didn't see that. Cause uh, that that wasn't one of his movies. He was just in it. Okay, so he wasn't. He that wasn't one of his projects, but he was he was cast in it. I didn't see. I didn't see that one. Yeah, he uh, he kind of surprised me on that when he showed his uh, his acting chops because he was playing a detective and uh, you know kind of being in some of those action sequences. You know, I was curious to see how it would go over, and it was believable. So okay. you know, I, I I give him some props on that. And yeah. Uh, I mean, we can't knock him as an actor. Medea is a character. Mm-hmm. And I think when you watch him in those films, you forget that you're looking at a man. Yeah, you do. He does yeah. it well. You know? Like you said, he has an audience. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not mad that, you know, he's got an audience that wants to see him. And that's what smart, you know, filmmakers do. It's like, this is what I, you know, people have their little formulas. You know, like Adam Sandler continues to get work oh, and yes. put movies out. And there yeah. are people that go see it. I, you know, it doesn't never seems like a lot. It's just like these movies look terrible, but <laughs> he must be doing something right if they keep allowing him to keep making movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it's this certain demographic that he really appeals to, yeah. and they love it. Like my kids, they love Adam Sandler movies. <laughs> you know, I got an eight year old, and then I got a five year old that they they will watch an Adam Sandler movie like. Um, the one where he was like playing him and playing his sister. Um, oh, yeah. I remember that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the one where he was uh, telling bedtime stories. I think that's the name of it. They, uh, so they, they was all right. But yeah, man, like grown ups, that was, that was, that was a money grab. Hey, can't front on that one. Mm-hmm. No, he'll do those. Yeah. But, uh, just getting back to Tyler, I'm, uh, I'm just ready to for him to go ahead and and retire Medea and then start <laughs> that new chapter 
where he does some different type of films. And like you said, get some of these uh, young filmmakers out there. You know, I'm a uh, I'm a big fan of the comedy films. And I'm kind of sad that the black comedy film is an automatic B movie every time it comes out. True that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless you have at this point Kevin Hart um, attached to it. And Eddie Murphy's films are always so hit and miss. Chris and Rock's Chris Rock's films are so hit and miss. Um, but you're right. You're right. They are definitely like straight to Netflix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Type joints when it's a black comedy. Yeah, and I'm I'm just I'm missing the I don't know, just the combination that we used to get back in the day. Cause you look at, you know, movies like Players Club and, you know, Friday. And, you know, you see all of the hot comedians of the time in the same movie. You know, you don't really get that too much anymore. It's like, you know, now that the the rule is definitely in place where you just have the one hot black comic at one time and somehow like Mike Epps got bumped. uh, (laughs) And right now (laughs) I still don't understand how that happened. But uh, I see he like he doing this thing on Twitter and um. he really killed him, so I'm I'm hoping I see he's doing a uh he doing a show on ABC now. So uh okay. man, I can't think of the name of it, but uh it's Uncle Buck. That's the name of it. Oh, I heard about that. That they okay. were remaking Uncle Buck with Yeah. So yeah, they got Mike Epps in that and that's gonna be on ABC. I think that's gonna be a good look with Blackish. I'm uh uh I'm getting into Blackish now. I got my Hulu subscription. I'm I've been binging on it because I hadn't watched it that much. That I say ABC, uh, they got a thumbs up from I guess this side of the black fence. Yeah, and I have to give it up. Give it up to Mike Epps. He was recently in that HBO movie with Queen Latifah, Bessie. Bessie, and he was. Good. I seen that. Yeah, he was. He was good. And like you mentioned, Friday, because this was the, this is what, the 20th anniversary? Mm -hmm. I believe so. Of Friday. And so, you know, we were talking, we, you and I, Chris, always have these conversations about Chris Tucker. We just like lament his, I don't want to say fall from grace. That's not it. But just. He just never. His choice to kind of just exit the scene. He did like a few movies. Um, Like I loved him in uh, The Fifth Element playing that, uh whatever that character was. It was like, oh, he's playing somebody different. Somebody strange. But he never, you thought he was going to be, he was going to blow up. And he did a few films and was kind of like, all right, I'm good. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And you're like, wow, like, really? Like, I thought he'd do Rush. I mean, he hit with Rush Hour. And I knew, you know, that franchise was going to continue. But you thought he'd continue on to do more films. Right, because you thought and- he had crossed over once he did that. Right. Yeah, he had this access, but it never turned out that way. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I'm somebody gonna have to sit him down and really like get into what happened there because that's you know we had Chris Tucker, and then I say that's a parallel to like what happened with Dave Chappelle. So it's like, what's going on with these comedians? They get super hot, and then all of a sudden, nothing. Something happens with people when they get to be really really popular in entertainment and we see it all the time you know like you said chris tucker dave chappelle although chappelle said exactly what it was that happened to him lauren hill um if something happens when an artist has that 
it factor. And I don't know if they are walked into a room and offered the red pill versus the blue pill. And I I don't know (laughs) what happens, but something happens. And for those that are of conscious minds, they tend to to back away from whatever the circumstances are. Because Chris Tucker, Chris Tucker would have been the next Eddie Murphy. He'd have been making films every year. Yeah. Yeah. Because what's him doing Rush Hour was that, oh, maybe we can put him in an action movie. Mm-hmm. He could have been the next Eddie Murphy, right? And it just never panned out that way. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little disappointed how some of these things could have probably grown into something bigger because, uh, you know, we don't really have those, those like comedy houses kind of, uh, you know, where the one guy gets on, gets hot, and then he kind of puts all his friends in his movies, like Adam Sandler or uh, Seth Rogen, and. Uh, you know, so every time they get a project, you gonna see the same five, six dudes. We I don't know. Right. I, right. I don't know if that's something that that Kevin Hart is is trying to do at any point. But I've been hearing a few things about how other comedians view Kevin Hart, and I think that might be one of the problems. Is he just focused on himself? Is that? And then uh, uh, I say some of them are even saying he's overrated. Uh, is at least because I like some of his bits, and especially I think just because it's the YouTube age and people just you know swallow the the few bits at a time. But you know, I, I don't watch Kevin Hart a few times. He he, all right. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. he doing. He's not a powerhouse on stage to me, and I've seen a couple of his films. He's funny, but yeah. he's not. I'm trying to think. Well, like the first time I saw Chris Tucker do stand up was just to let you know how long ago that was. It was Showtime at the Apollo. Taking him back. Yeah, he was the guest comedian. But you talk, was it? No, was it? No, no, no. It wasn't Showtime at the Apollo. It was, it was when Mark Graham? Lawrence. Oh, had his. Had his comedy the show. The First Amendment. Yeah. Hey. The First Amendment stand up. And he was so funny. Like the, I think I know I was crying by the end of his set. Him and then who's the dude who I like now? Who's just D-Ray. crazy? D Ray. D Ray Davis. I think is is somebody who can just stand up there and probably just off the top, just say some foolishness. And he's really really funny. As where Kevin Hart, it's a combination of his gesticulations and talking funny and. I don't know, but I, I get what you're saying when you say he's just all right. Like he's he's not a powerhouse comedian on stage, not to me. No, he's yeah, he has his he has what he does that is real funny, and then in his movies he's playing he's doing that character. Yeah, so it works, but you feel like once that particular character gets old, mm-hmm. what's going to happen to him? Yeah, he's milking it now. You know what I mean? I think he recognizes he has a shelf life. I don't think anybody would say that Kevin Hart is the next Eddie Murphy. I don't think he has that kind of power, and I think he knows it. So he's going to pimp this for as much as he can get out of it for as long as he's hot. I think he's milking the Hollywood because I remember him when he used to do, like, he used to be kind of in those little spoof movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paper Soldiers. and Like, I think uh, it was a scary movie. I think it was the one they did a spoof on, like... um, Narnia and all that, and he would be the black dude in there, you mm-hmm. know. And then, of course, you know, he made it so much that people forgot that he was in Soul Plane, but he did all these little okay parts 
And I think once he hit it, he was like, I'm taking, I'm milking this right now. Mm-hmm. Cause I worked so hard and was like nothing. Mm-hmm. Now that I got this shine, let me just take it now because I understand like 15 minutes, they're going, they'll find another comedian. Exactly. So let me cash in while I'm hot. Exactly. I don't, which I don't blame him. Right. Yeah. You can't, can't be mad at the hustle. I, and now that you said that, I didn't had like two small epiphanies about Kevin Hart. For one, that just shows you the grind was always going to be Hollywood. You know, it never was to really kill on stage. But, you know, that's just a byproduct of, you know, him doing good on a couple of the tapes. Now, I'll say this about his style is that he's only good if you're watching him on video. And if you look at most of the older comedians, they had to be good on tape where you had to listen to them and they would be having them on records. So you you have to to get a lot of his jokes and for it to really be funny and have the impact. You got to be looking at Kevin Hart. You got to see him. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's physical comedy. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's one of the things that. When you talk about people who really be crafting jokes, you know, that's kind of the style that they take. It's like if somebody was just hearing this, would they find it funny? And that's why you say somebody like D-Ray, he get on stage and he just smashing because all you got to do is listen to him. He about makes me sick every single time. And I mean sick with laughter. Like, I'm just like, he is a fool. Yeah, he's done a couple shows. I know mm-hmm. he has some show on MTV. So he's he's slowly climbing up that ladder. Of getting his name out there, and he's been, you know, he had his little moment in uh, uh, Empire. So he's he's slowly like gaining some some shine. Yeah, because he's been grinding at it for a while. Mm-hmm. It used to be a brother back in the day named Talent, who I thought was really really funny. I don't know what's happened to him. Oh, that was my dude. Yeah, I loved Talent. He was so funny, and he was really popular there. In in like the, I remember him being in a couple of music videos too. He was he was in with the sort of you know nineties mm-hmm. hip hop, um, and I guess he probably is still working. But it's just it. I guess there's probably a a nice chitlin circuit of black comedians out there. And it's just only so, there's only a few that are going to get in. And it's funny. We had a conversation at one of the breaks and we were talking about Chris Rock and one of the sisters who was here as a publicist. And we were talking about how come he doesn't pull people up more or he was, I guess in his movie, the the top top five, five. it's speaking about trying to pull people up and bring them with you or or, or there's some element of his staff. Or black. Yeah, but mm-hmm. in real life, that's not how he gets down. He all of his handlers are white folks. And so the the sister was saying, you know, I don't know how he's putting this movie out where he's surrounded by this, you know, village of black folks that support him as a comedian. <laughs> but in real life, that's not how he gets down. He's not trying to pull anybody up, not a publicist, not an assistant. You know what I'm saying? He's he's not trying to work with anybody to get them to his level. You know, and um, he was kind of like he probably does, but not to that extent. Yeah, but he's for comedians. I mean, he really hit that mark where he made him like, all right, he's a next level comedian, and Chappelle hit that. So I think for our generation, I guess hosts Martin Lawrence. Yeah, it would be them too. Yeah, you know, he's. I know Chris Rock's movies and stuff may not have been 
that great, but his, you know, he works at his stand up, and you can tell. Yeah, oh, he yeah. studies. Yeah, yeah, he be killing that that uh, kill the messenger. Yeah, he smashed yeah. that one. Yeah, that's a well thought out planned comedy mm-hmm. routine. He's not shooting from the hip. I'm sure he has moments of of improving, but overall, yeah. he knows exactly where that show is starting and where yeah. it's ending. And even with Chappelle, you know, him kind of making a few movies here and there. I forgot his one stint that he did in DC, which was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. And then he did the the Chappelle show, and he cashed in on them DVD sales. I think at the time it was like the biggest selling DVD series, and I think he was pocketing almost all of that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he just, you know, I know people who have, you know, feelings on some of them skits on the Chappelle show, but you know, he was saying some stuff too. Yeah. It he- just, it got to a point where I think they asked him to go past the point he wasn't comfortable with. Right. And he said he realized there was somebody in the audience or in the studio as he was recording who wasn't laughing with him, but laughing at him, which all of a sudden made what it was he was doing. It, it turned it. Mm-hmm. It turned it on its heel. And it's funny now that Comedy Central, those are some, I always quote Richard, Richard Pryor, or not, not Richard Pryor, Red Fox when he was in Harlem Nights. You a sweet, smart motherfucker. Comedy Central, <laughs> are they some sweet, smart motherfuckers coming behind Chappelle with oh, uh, Key and Peele? Yeah. Which they right. had a little break in between. And yeah. Key and Peele, we're fans of Key and Peele. Yeah. They and are everybody. different. Yeah. We don't compare I like them dudes. Chappelle, so. Yeah, their comedy is different, but they have that movie s aspect where everything they're shooting you would think is a clip from a movie. Mm-hmm. But they play off each other so well and play so many different characters. You just like why does and actually have a little bit of you know truth as their little their twist at the end of stuff. You're like, oh yeah, yeah a little reality check here and there. Yeah. yeah, and we know a lot of folks that aren't fans, and I, I will say I I know that because they 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 played this really well too. You know, they let it be known from the gate that they were products of biracial relationships, and that one grew up really wealthy, and the other one, you know, grew up kind of you know middle class. Um, one is adopted. I think one was raised by his white mom with an absentee black father. Um, And their just their life perspective gives them the sort of freedom to be able to play the roles that they play and kind of push the envelope in a way that would be uncomfortable for a lot of people. But I I don't get upset with Ken Peel because I honestly feel like they make fun of as many different races as they can portray. Mm-hmm. They try to they pretend oh, to be yeah. damn near everybody. Oh yeah. You know. That's that that that, that yellow advantage. You pass a Puerto <laughs> Rican, Mexican, Iranian, Egyptian, just yeah. whatever. It's that they they doing something and I noticed what they did this season which was they cut the studio side of it out and it looks like they repurposed the budget and they put it all in on the skits. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I I think that really paid off and that was a really smart move whoever did come up with that. Yeah. Yeah, although we look we we missed the live studio performances cuz we would actually go um cuz they record out here at the um, Nate Holden Theater. 
And so every year that yeah. they were doing the live yeah. stage performance, we would be we would go to mm. at least one or yeah, two tapes. Yeah, the last the last two years they did that, we were able to go to see one of the episodes, and it, it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Man, so okay, so that, that I guess they kind of use that to to help build the audience up, and uh, I guess I who knows it might come back. They uh they get a little bit more budget when they come back for the next season. We just we keep an eye on that. Yeah, for sure. Right. Now, all right. Now I went uh, well over the time, and I kind of knew it was gonna happen like that. <laughs> it always does when the conversation is good. Um, so I'm gonna kind of like smash everything that I had left on the table um, in these last few minutes. So uh, I kind of. Uh, want to talk about or continue the conversation that you guys were having on the podcast um it was about relationships and uh i heard a few things that really had struck a chord with me um for one uh somebody had brought up uh, like being on the same page <clears throat> or not not being on the same page but uh uh how, how do you put that uh I should have wrote it down to put it in the notes or something. It probably would have helped. Um, but uh, just kind of being on the same mission and like having that vision—that's that's what that was the key uh, word. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that that part oh, of the conversation. Oh, yeah, Malcolm talking about one person having a vision for the the relationship and being the leader, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And my thing was when you are in a relationship someone is going to to take the lead and i'm of the belief that if you have really strong leadership qualities then you probably should you know mm-hmm. and and really it's always supposed to be a partnership especially like in a marriage you know everything is 50-50 so you know somebody brought up the you know decision making and the planning it all can't be on one person and you know, you really have to look at it from the perspective is like, does both parties want to, you know, get into that planning and, and decision making? Because I, I think the want has to also be there for that to really make it work. So, uh, I don't know. That was kind of my two cents that I had on that conversation. Um, <laughs> no, that, that's a good. No, that's a good point. It I is. mean, you, the person you're going to need somebody who's going to want to do the work. I mean, you can't just be like, all right, well, you're the man, so you're expected to do all the work. And for some men, it's a lot. And they may not be able to handle it or may not have the strength to do it the majority of the time. And if they have a woman who can handle it and wants to do it, then, you know, I think there should be times where you should let her take the lead on it. If she's if she's comfortable with it, if you guys are both comfortable with it, um, I don't see an issue with it. Yeah, there's so there's so many dynamics that go into a relationship. And one of the conversations that we had last night kind of circled back on this topic. You know, you're starting to really understand that people become who they are based off of what they see growing up. A lot of times they'll go in the exact same direction and emulate what they grew up seeing within their household. Sometimes what they saw in their household, they didn't like and grow up and go in the complete opposite direction. Like they run from that model. 
and that tends to determine who they turn out to be. Right. Um, I agree with you entirely when you say that a relationship should be a partnership, even with, you know, one person having a, uh, one person having, you know, leadership potential more so than the other. I know one of the things that always concerned me prior to getting married was being in a relationship with somebody who, um, because I have such a strong personality, I never wanted to be in a relationship with somebody and and make it seem like I was the mean domineering woman. Cause that's not who I am. I needed to be with somebody who could respect me for who I am and allow me to, to stand in my strengths, but also understand that I'm not strong all the time. Um, and in that moment, be able to, support me and, and, and bolster me up. And I wanted somebody with whom I could not have to be strong with, you know what I mean? I think that's just a, a, an innate part of my mm-hmm. personality. Um, I'm not very good worker B material. I'm not somebody who does good in, in a work situation where I have a boss or a lot of supervisors that has never worked for me. I'm very much more entrepreneurial minded. I'd rather work by myself than anything, um, but I didn't want my relationship to look that way, you know, and I, I always felt like even now I feel like anybody from the outside looking in at, at Chris and I, you know, obviously I'm, I'm the extroverted person in the relationship and Chris is much more observant. Um, but that doesn't mean that that is, it's not a true depiction to me of our relationship. I feel like we definitely come to the table, both bringing our strengths and -hmm. making decisions on, on equal level. And quite frankly, I, I know I defer to his preferences more often than not. And that's honestly, that's just cause that's cause that's cause that's what I was taught. Um, you know, there are certain things, especially when it comes to marriage and relationships that I know Chris is stronger in than I am. Um, just because he's come from generations of black folk who stayed married for 50 plus years. And I don't, you know, and so I, I lean into his understanding and to his direction for things that I don't understand. You know, when it when it comes to relationship, I, I will defer to him. Um, and so I back to and I don't went all deep into my life. Anyway, uh, you good <laughs> back to your point, though, you do have to have people who are willing to come together and to be open. I think so often people come to the table with a a, a set of ideas, be it right or wrong, that they just will not open themselves up to considering that maybe things look a little bit different. It's like, this is what it is. And this is what I know. And da, 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 da. and even when somebody tries to show them something else, they don't readily receive it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and you have to be receptive if you're trying to be in a partnership, yeah. you just have to be yeah, something long. Yeah. I'm always with the thing. I don't think people, some people don't think really long-term when it comes to their relationships, Mm-mm. it's just, you know, like it's like a short term go or let's just get to the marriage. And I'm like, if you want to be with this person 
for the rest of your life, which is like, you know, God willing, 50 plus years, you know, it's there's going to be some some ups and downs, mm-hmm. you know, with the both of you as a collective and the both of you individually, because life is going to throw things at you. Y'all going to go through changes, you know, career changes with family, how that, you know, and kids, that's going to affect things. And I don't think people think that far ahead. I think they're just like, well, how's it going to be like in the next couple of years? Mm-hmm. And people don't talk. People don't understand how critical communication is when it comes to relationships. You know, your relationship could have the most bangingest sex life ever. It don't matter if y'all don't get out of that bed and have a conversation. Because as life continues... If you're not on the same page in regards to what you want to do, you're not on the same page in regards to how you want to save money. You're not on the same page in regards to how you want to make money, invest money. You're not on the same page in regards to how many kids you want, how you want to raise your kids. You're not on the same page in regards to where you want to live long term, where you want to retire. You know, those things that seem like they're not that big of a deal, they're huge deals. You know, and they're all conversations that should be had before people make the decision that you are who I want to walk through the rest of my life with. Because mm-hmm. you get to a crossroad and now we on two different pages. And so now what? Yeah, you don't have to ask all these questions at once. But right. it's like the long, the further along you go in a relationship, you should just see like, let's ask these questions. Right. Let me ask this question now. Since we're, you know, I've answered this. She got that. You know, let's see where her head is at on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a a lot of the, the discussions that I be trying to have, especially with my wife. I uh, I think a few of the problems is, like you said, it's about communication, and I I don't think a lot of the times, you know, we diagnose the root problem. You know, we always look at, you know, what at the surface is getting on our nerves. So I was like, oh, you're not cleaning enough or, you know, you, you know, staying out with your friends too much, whatever it is. Is that really what it's about or is it really a deep, deeper issue? Is it that you're not just paying attention as you're going along or is it, uh, you know, I'm just looking to have more time with you or I need more support with you from this angle? You know, it's, it's real important that we really talk about things and and get everything out there in the air so you know we can eventually get on the same page and chris what you were saying like you know you go through changes so you know when you're looking for answers to how to fix your relationship and you reaching back into the past about when y'all first met you know things are different now how many kids uh do y'all have we have two i have two you got a a six-year-old and a six-month-old Okay, so well, y'all been at it for a little while, so yeah, and you know, parenting is a thing that always changes relationships because, for one, you have views on parenting and you know the way you raise children, and then you have the I guess the attention to detail that some people have when it comes to the children, and I guess I'm well, I got this chance, I get it out there, I think especially people from my generation, I'm like 25. Like it's a lot of distracted parenting going on out there. You know, a lot of smartphones, a lot of Facebooking, and you kind of oblivious to the fact your kids on YouTube looking at any and everything. And you figuring out where they get all these dances and all this language from got to be a little less distracted. So, you know, if 
if somebody is in a relationship and you have that, you know, that could be a thing that could always break down stuff. So that's a y'all brought up some real interesting things. And I'm, I'm, I had to get that off my chest. No, it's a good point. It's a good point. Twenty five, man. I wish I could go back to twenty five. <laughs> but you're right. It's like it's it's one of those things where your kids, as soon as they get here, they command attention. I think I've said this about five times <laughs> this year. Human children are the most vulnerable species because they require everything. There's very little they can do for themselves. You know, somebody was like, well, we we don't know because we've never let humans survive on their own. I'm like, because they couldn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they can't move. You know what I mean? Some They have to be cared for and, and nurtured. And so when your children are here, it's so very critical that they get your time. I think a lot of time parents believe you know, as long as I got my kid dressed fly and, you know, doing this and doing that, I'm buying stuff, I'm spending money on stuff, that I'm taking care of my duty. But the child more often than not benefits from your time than anything else. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know? yeah, and I don't think people understand the responsibility level. I'm like, in a sense, once the kid comes, that responsibility is on you. Um, there's no like, okay, well, I can just pass this on to somebody else. I mean, some people, some people do, you know, there's a lot of men who choose not to be in their children's lives. Um, but it is something that if you want the kid, it's like, all right, now this kid is here. Now they're taking up a lot of time that you may had for yourself mm-hmm. or the time that you and your spouse had just the two of you guys. Now that gets limited. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once that gets cut down, that means the time that you have for yourself in order to keep yourself sane is now that gets even smaller. Mm-hmm. Right. So people start, you know, really stressing out about stuff and, you know, the kids do stuff that, you know, bothers them because that's just what kids are going to do. And there's no place to just breathe. Right. You know, it's like I got this and then I go with my wife and then we got all our problems and. You know, there's nobody really takes the moment to like, all right, let me make sure that I myself am okay. I mean, you don't have to take weeks and weeks at a time, but just, you know, moments to just let me breathe. Let me make sure I'm okay. You know, because if I'm not all right, then my wife and I, we're not going to be all right. And how are we going to help our kids if we're not all right? Exactly. That's, that's very well said. Now, uh, been running quite some time we probably could kick it all day i feel like we could be you know eating ribs at a family reunion right now <laughs> you know what i'm saying we got some real talk going on i really would like to go all night but uh don't want to keep everybody too long um but man i um i've been toying with some ideas about doing like a little mini series on like black parenting um i don't know i might have to get with y'all and see if we could like source your audience and uh get a little feedback and see some of the issues that we want to get discussed and, uh, you know, kind of get some of these experts and people that, have, you know, gathered a lot of this knowledge and, you know, try to help everybody out. Yeah, that sounds good. Because it's really a matter of I think people parent the way they were parented. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you do what you know to do. Yeah. You kind of take what you were taught that you felt worked. Um, you take your own thoughts, how you think, you know, 
maybe some of that stuff didn't work and what you want to try to implement. And then you just have a sprinkle of dealing and dealing with the kid and their personality. Cause mm-hmm. that, you don't know that you mm-hmm. can say, I want to, I'm a parent this way. And then this kid comes out with this personality. That's like, Oh, I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. And you kind of have to just take your kid really as they are mm-hmm. and, you know, figure out the best way to parent them with your previous knowledge and how they are as a person. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you do develop that, stay in touch with us. Cause mm-hmm. I don't know of any of the, the anybody within the Chitlin circuit that has a show focused just on issues of parenting. No. Yeah. So that's why I said, I think it might be like a little mini series. It might be like 10 episodes. I, like I said, it's just an idea I've been throwing around and, you know, just some of the issues I've been dealing with, I want to get answers about. So I'm trying to see if I can, you know, if I could get the right type of information out there, then, you know, hopefully we could all get our kids in a better place. You know, that's the that's supposed to be the goal. So. Uh, all right. So before we get out of here and I, we'll, we'll talk about that some more later, uh, let everybody know where they can find you and uh, the best way to get in contact with you. All right, you guys can find us on our website, blackisonline.com. You can tune into our podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio. I just look for Black Is or the Black Is Network. If you want to contact us, you can follow us on Twitter at uh, Black Is Online, at Facebook at Black Is Magazine. I mean, you can e- email us at kc at blackisonline.com. Or you can call the hotline at 323-455-4219. Yep. Okay, so now how does that go over? Do y'all get a lot of voicemails? We do get a few. We get a few every now and then. Mm-hmm. I'm going to yeah. talk to some more about that later. We're going to shut out the, <laughs> down the podcast. I appreciate y'all coming on once again. And uh, thanks to everybody out there listening. And uh, we out here. Peace. Peace. Later.